Ladies and gentlemen, welcome wrestling fans worldwide to Knoxville and the Great Smoky Mountains for the Ron Fuller Tennessee Studcast. Six feet nine inches tall, 265 pounds. This historic podcast from one of the most respected and successful wrestlers and promoters will follow the footsteps of the largest and oldest wrestling family on the planet. Listen to what I'm saying. That's right. Bring that camera in here a little bit closer. Through 93 years and four generations. The stud has arrived. Old school or new fan, this unique broadcast will educate and captivate as Ron details decades of professional wrestling's growth with truly unforgettable stories. I want those people out there at home to hear the stud. Sit back and enjoy the ride with the Tennessee stud. The Tennessee stud. You will learn that name, you will remember it. And now, the stud is here. All right, everybody, welcome in once again. It's David Summers hosting another stud cast with the Tennessee stud, Ron Fuller. It's the story of wrestling in America as told by the stud, whose family started the profession 100 years ago. Now, we step back into the ring, back into time, and into the Great Smoky Mountains with the Tennessee stud, Ron Fuller. What's going on, Ron? Oh, geez, man. Uh, beautiful day here. Uh, finally come out of that snow. Wow, we had a great uh, a great couple of days, man. I never saw anything like it. Went from 70 to down to, to 11 <laughs> and, uh, in two days' time. A uh, nice, beautiful day. Uh, uh, trees blooming, the yeah. uh, whole deal. And, uh, and uh, one day later, uh, six inches of snow and uh, – now there's no buds there anymore. Yeah, I saw you in, in some really good videos. I saw you out amongst the snow and the ice and the, the creek. Now, one of the creeks, I think you said it was right near your house. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There, there's one on, on each side. So, okay. So, uh, you know, uh, I get a creek on both sides in the front and the back. And, yeah, it's a, it's pretty crazy, man. Uh, water's been real high in those creeks. Obviously, you've been getting a lot of rain before these big storms that came through that mm-hmm. brought us snow and then uh once the snow melts the water <laughs> rolls again you know? so uh so it's a it's a crazy crazy thing i've never been around anything like it man it dropped from 70 down to 11 and and basically about to 18 hours hey that that's pretty drastic it really is but listen the the videos the stuff you've been shooting when you've been out with the snow i mean it's a beautiful place but you, you're kind of up against some extremes, some really cold. And then in, in the summertime, it does get pretty hot there in Tennessee too, right? Oh, yeah. It gets yeah. really warm, man. Uh, you got a little <laughs> bit of that Florida humidity in the, in the middle of the summer. You can bank on that. So, uh, no, but uh, it's beautiful. I'm really enjoying it. And, That's uh, awesome. And I'm ready to jump into, man, our stud cast. I mean, wow, this thing is uh, really turning into uh, – you know, now that this second territory is cranked in, uh, yeah, this is an experience for me, man. I'm having to try to figure all this out, Dave. <laughs> yeah, I think I asked you a couple of weeks ago if you've ever been been spinning plates like at the circus or juggling cats, one of those, because I don't know how you're going to keep up with two territories. But, hey, Ron, listen, I'm going to tell you the stud cats are really on fire. I mean, that's what you were just saying. I've been looking looking forward to this episode specifically since last week when you gave us a hint about it. You said this studcast is going to be telling us about the most famous match in the history of your 14 years as a promoter in the sport. 
So it's got to be a big one. So tell us, uh, I mean, get started today with where we headed on this ride. Well, it's, it's going to cover, man, uh, like I've been saying, a lot of things. It's going to cover, obviously, two southeastern events in two different territories, uh, 500 miles apart. And it's going to begin in Knoxville, Tennessee. And this one's going to end in Dothan, Alabama, five days later. And on Sunday, March 5th, 1978, in Knoxville, Ronnie Garvin, you're going to face off against two men in what was an extremely surprising man handicap match as part of a triple main event in the Coliseum. Uh, five days later, uh, we're going to talk about a huge tournament that was being held in Alabama to crown a new Gulf Coast champion in southeastern Gulf Coast territory. Uh, and that's uh, this and it's just in its second week as a new territory. So for only the second time in its history, Southeastern was running two events uh, from the Ohio River down to the Gulf of Mexico. Wow. I mean, that's close to a thousand miles apart, I'm guessing, but it's got to be close to that. That's an amazing expansion of a territory. It's similar to what you're going to be doing today with your studcast and YouTube channel, and now a streaming channel for fans around the world. You were becoming big time in 1978, and it seems like you're doing it again 44 years later in this new age of technology. Well, yeah, man, that's true, Dave. I can't deny that, man. I'm kind of beginning to, to see a dream come true in a way, to compile as many of my Southeastern Continental and USA TV shows as possible. So the fans around the world can see what wrestling back in that time frame was like compared to what it's like today, I guess, you know? So, uh, it's, uh, it's been, it's been, it's been interesting so far. I can tell you that. Well, I tell you what, you're doing a great job collecting those awesome TV shows, plus producing your own new shows. YouTube Southeastern Rewind has tremendous stud stories. Every new stud cast and classic matches from Southeastern and Gulf Coast days on top of that. And it has all 23 of the USA TV shows, but nothing compared to your new streaming channel. It is elite, dude. Oh, man. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm really proud of it, man. Uh, this, you know, and yes, the Southeastern Rewind YouTube channel has a lot of content on it. That's for sure. But the streaming channel, the classic continental wrestling dot com, uh, man, that thing is everything that I've ever done and everything that I'm ever going to do. It's all going to be there, every bit of it. And it will be exclusive site for all of the great Southeastern TV shows. Once we get those cranked up, they're not going to be on the uh, Southeastern Rewind YouTube channel at all. They're only going to be on that classiccontinentalwrestling.com. And I got some news on those shows. I just got a big box from a great friend of mine, a little fellow promoter in Birmingham, Alabama, Linda Marks, great lady, uh, sent me a box full of Southeastern men of dates and shows that I didn't have. Wow. So, wow. I just picked up about another 50 great Southeastern shows. So once we get started showing these Southeasterns, I think uh, fans are just going to be really, really highly involved in those. So, you know, uh, uh, you know, and it, it'll be exclusive. Everything is going to be exclusive. Uh, the site, uh, that streaming site will be the exclusive place for all great Southeastern shows that I can find. 
They were produced in the seven years between 1978 and 1985. And it also has the three-hour historic stars of the sports shows now, plus documentaries on such wrestlers as Wildcat Window Cooley, which is a great 90-minute documentary. So the first Stars of the Sports series is on the Andre the Giant, and it's already on the streaming channel, man. And this week, we got another one going on there with him, and that is no no one other than the enforcer himself. Arn Anderson is going to join the Giant, man. And uh, Arn's three-hour journey in the sport is one of the most compelling wrestling stories ever told, I think, man. Hmm. And uh, and it's all in a three-hour live interview I did with Arn. Wow. So, uh, wow, it's 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 classic stuff. I don't think you're going to find anything like it anywhere. And uh, like I said, I'm really proud of where I'm headed now, man, to make all of my contributions uh, to old school wrestling available to fans worldwide. That's what I want to do. And uh, and I'm going to add my stories and my memories along with it, too. Hey, if you leave them in a box, they're going to be in a box. They're going to collect dust and nobody enjoys it for years and years and years. So this way, it's the, it's not in a box. Everything is open and out there for everyone to enjoy. And I think that is just absolutely awesome what you're doing. It's a legacy that you're you're one day will leave behind, and hopefully that's a long way away. So I think it's really, really cool that all of this is available. The already produced stars of the sports shows alone add up to well over 100 hours. You're releasing a new one every week. This fantastic new streaming channel called ClassicContinentalWrestling.com. ClassicContinentalWrestling.com. It costs only $4.99 per month, $39.99 for an entire year. You subscribe today and begin your tremendous ride into the best old school wrestling streaming site anywhere. All right, stud. So where is this two-territory ride going to take us today? Well, man, we're gonna be we're gonna be riding about 500 miles, man. Uh, we're gonna begin in Knoxville uh, with another great card and a historic match on that card. Uh, the TV highlights uh, from uh, Knoxville and uh, and the results of that card. We're gonna do that. We're gonna get the attendance for that card, and then we're gonna jump on the horse and ride 500 miles south into Alabama and look at another great card that's full of stars and uh, check out that TV show there and get the results of the matches and the attendance there. And we're also going to try to get another learning tree question on this one too, man. So, so in, uh, in the learning tree <laughs> question, the gentleman asked, uh, was any baby face in any territory ever over as good as the bullet was in continental? Ah. And he adds in his thought, he says, I can think of, only Dusty in Florida and the Von Erickson, Texas. That's it. Oh, that, that's a couple of that's a couple of pretty good guesses, I would say. So I, I might be with him on that. So it sounds like another great one today. It's loaded with action, Ron. Absolutely. I especially, I like that learning tree question. So how does this stud cast begin? How do you start this thing? Well, I want to begin, begin it to, in a kind of an unusual way, a little bit like a today's training session in a way. So, uh, I want to take a look back at how a wrestling star was born in southeastern Knoxville. And, and that star is going to be Ronnie Garvin. And uh, we're going to see today how and why he became a star. And, uh, and, and, and the way it happened for him tells a lot about the sport itself and why it was so critical to have stars. In order to build a, a successful wrestling company, you had to have stars. 
So let's look at the history of Ronnie Garvin at the beginning of this one, after he arrived in Southeastern, and how and why he became a star for the first time in his career, I might add. I mean, he'd had a 10-year career. He had never been on top uh, regularly, and this is the first territory it's, that's going to ever happen for Ronnie. So he arrived in Southeastern Knoxville on the first, the first week, of September in 1976. And I want to take this back to when he came and uh, what he did and how it happened and why it happened. So uh, we're going to, we're going to do something a little different than this one. So, so obviously he arrived as a heel and then he had always been uh, since he broke in a heel and, uh, and he spoke very broken English. Uh, and you'll remember that and some of the interviews mm -hmm. and all the things that went on early on yep. after he got to Knoxville you know, he had that broken English and uh, because he had been born French-Canadian in mm -hmm. Montreal, Canada. And he had been at that point the uh, middle of the card wrestler for much of the 10 years that he had been in the sport. So after about six weeks after his arrival on October 10th, 1976, he got his first big push as a heel. And he got involved at the end of the NWA world title match with me and Terry Funk. And uh, he sent me to the hospital by jumping off the top rope on me several times, then collecting Funk's $10,000 bounty money for hurting me. And he was strong angles like that one was the beginning of building a star. And so to help him become a star, and because of his inability to do great interviews that, that didn't match his work in the ring, which was just absolutely wonderful, he had trouble interviewing, we gave him a manager, Big Bad John to do his talking for him. Yep. And uh, that started him on his way, man. I mean, you know, hence what he was capable of in the ring. And you add in big, bad John's attitude and his interview skills. And, uh, wow, that was a pretty darn good combination. I, I kind of miss big, bad John. Yeah. <laughs> I do too, man. So, you know, and, you know, so at, next after he, after he won the Southeastern belt for the first time, then he went and threw the belt off the Gay Street Bridge in downtown Knoxville into the Tennessee River. <laughs> That's so great. You know, because he said on TV, it's the ugliest belt I've ever seen. And he <laughs> says, I'm going to throw it off the Tennessee Bridge downtown Knoxville at 2 o'clock on Saturday and my Sunday yeah. afternoon, whatever day it was. I don't remember what the day, but I know it was in the afternoon. And we kind of expected that there might be a few people would show up on the bridge, you know. <laughs> but wow. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. It turned out to be unbelievable. You know, I had traffic stopped for miles in both directions. It closed down downtown, man. And uh, there were hundreds of fans on the bridge. So uh, it became a huge story. It, it, and what happened is it got publicity not just in small places and not just around the wrestling and the wrestling TV show. It got publicity for everywhere, all the television stations and all the radio stations, and everybody covered the fact that this wrestler threw this belt off the bridge and that it shut down downtown because so many came to see it happen. You know, so he was suddenly known everywhere in that part of the country. That's legendary stuff, man. You, you, that don't happen ordinarily. And uh, wow, it just, it just really kicked him off even bigger. So three months after that, February, 1977, he gets into the finals of the Southeastern, the first ever car tournament in Southeastern for a Cadillac. And he's in the finals against Bob Armstrong and he lost the match. 
but he made a bigger impression off of doing something bad than if he had won the match and won the car. So he went straight to the car and he grabbed up the steel stanchion that was placed around the car to protect it. And by golly, he, he throws it through the front windshield of a brand new Cadillac, man. So the legend grew and it just kept <laughs> growing. So then he had turned babyface for about a month in March of 1977. He'd been there for about six months. And then he suddenly had to leave the territory for a month because personal issues in Canada. And in fact, uh, he was a heel and Rob and I turned him babyface so that we could, we didn't expect him to ever come back so that he could get some heels. He could get some, uh, you know, uh, uh, heels over <laughs> before he left. And uh, so when, when we thought he was gone for good, uh, then he came back. So we had to turn him back heel again. And so we had a good reason because another great Canadian star happened to come in just about the time that Garvin came back, and that was Joe LaDuke. And Joe mm. LaDuke arrived as a baby face, mm. and LaDuke had kind of uh, tracked down Garvin and uh, was intent upon getting even with Ronnie Garvin and Bob Orton Jr., <laughs> who both as a tag team had ended up uh, ruining his brother's career, injuring his brother so badly he never wrestled again. So Garvin, you know, who had been fighting with Bob Orton Jr. before he left, he comes back and he right away goes and teams up with him again. And they become the most unbeatable tag team in Southeastern Tag Team Championship. Man. Uh, and obviously he had more heat than ever. So in November of 1977, Bob Orton Jr., his tag partner, became a huge baby face by turning on Garvin. You know, so he had so much heat that mm -hmm. Orton Jr. became a babyface just by turning on him. And their tag team run obviously was over, but Garvin got even more heat then because he ended up beating Bob Orton Jr. Uh, and on December 16th in 1977, he hurt him so bad that uh, Bob Orton Jr. was gone from the wow. territory. Wow, yeah. So he's still packing on the heat, man. Now he's been there more than a year. He's been there 15 months, and everything he's doing is just making him hotter. So on January 22nd, 1978, Garvin sets his sights on a young and popular baby face, Roy Lee Welch. <laughs> and, uh, and then it, for four weeks in a row, he can't beat this guy. Roy Lee Welch, and, uh, you know, Roy Lee is not a big name, but uh, Garvin just can't get him to give up, and he can't beat him. So for four weeks, he loses. He doesn't he, he doesn't lose, but he's not able to pin or beat Roy Lee Welch. Hmm. So on February 26, which is just a couple of weeks ago in our time frame, he broke Roy Lee Welch's arm. <laughs> mm -hmm. that's, a good, that's a way of doing it. So. Yeah. That kind of brings us to today's studcast, man, and uh, and this great card that we're going to be talking about on March the fifth, nineteen seventy eight, the Knoxville Coliseum, and it's one one of the cards uh, that one of that card's outstanding matches was Roy Lee Welch with a cast on his arm and a mystery partner was going to be taking on Ronnie Garvin in a handicap match with Garvin against two guys. Wow. All right, so listen, I want to mention this, and you you mentioned it earlier, but I remember the Studcast episode from, uh, it's been a, quite a while back, where you and Robert were talking about 
man, what are we going to do with Ronnie Garvin? We got him in from Canada. He's a very gifted athlete. He just he just can't speak English very well. So you've we've literally as fans seen him go from uh, the Canadian uh, accent that was so strong we couldn't understand him to now he is one of your top stars. And you and Robert really gave him everything he needed to get to this point. You've seen him as one of the best heels possible, one of the best baby faces possible. And now what's next for Ronnie Garvin? I think that that's an amazing story, Stud. It's definitely explains a lot about how and why Ronnie Garvin was such a big star in Southeastern. Well, you're right by saying he was becoming, man, you know. Uh, and, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, and then not already there. Because yeah. this match in this studcast is going to change everything for him, man. Hmm. Uh, it's going to fans are going to <laughs> respect him, and the, and it's going to bring him to a star level, man. This is going to be the match that I was talking about that may be the best that was ever in the history of my fourteen years right. as a promoter. Well, uh, when I watched it, I just says, "Wow." This this is um, what happens. It's unbelievable, and it's uh, that's what's happening in this one. Well, I can't wait to get to it. Let's let's get started, Ron. Come on. Well, uh, now, uh, whoa, whoa, Dave. You know, <laughs> as usual, man. What you now? Know, I'm just setting the stage, man. You know, the match is going to come later in the show. You know, it. it's more like the main event than the opener. Yeah, you know? yeah I should have known. So, who and what was on that Knoxville card? And I think we're talking about March fifth, nineteen seventy eight. Well, it was a triple main event card, big card, great card. Uh, two of the three matches were the exact same opponents. They were facing off against each other again. And the last time they met uh, in both of these matches, the opponents in both of these matches met was in loser leave matches that were five months earlier in October of 1977. So these two main events were both no DQ matches. And the first match on the card that night is is an indication, man, right off, uh, right away of the power of this night's events, man. The opening match was Tony Charles up against Ricky Gibson in the opening match. There, wow, there's no better way to start a wrestling afternoon than putting two guys like that in the ring together the first match. Uh, and uh, uh, then in the second match, Ron Wright, uh, Ron Wright uh, had dumped his old team, man. <laughs> you know, Ron Wright was a – he'd take advantage of situations, man, and all of a sudden he has found himself another team. <laughs> and he liked to say with this team he wasn't uh, – he he he, 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 he uh, brings them there and he manages them and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. He says, Ron Wright presents <laughs> Dennis Condry and Phil Hickerson. So Ron Wright had already dropped, like I just said, his former tag champions, Don Carson and the Assassin, because the Assassin got injured and he was out of action. Mm -hmm. So this dynamic new tag team that he had had already conquered everyone on the far side of the state in the Memphis Territory. They had beat them all, and they were going to take Southeastern by storm, man. This was their first night and uh, first afternoon, and they were up against Jimmy Golden and a brand-new other talented young star man named Rip Smith. Uh, third match on this card was Robert Fuller and Joel Duke against the Hangman and Ron Wright. He's got to be in the ring as well. 
And then the first main event of the three main events on that card was was that Roy Lee Welch cast on his arm with his mystery partner against Ronnie Garvin in the handicap match, mm -hmm. Garvin <laughs> against the two of them. The second main event was the no DQ, the Georgia Jawjacker versus Don Carson. And then the last time those two had met was October 7th, 1977, in a loser leave town match, in which Bob Armstrong lost. And the third main event was another no DQ match, uh, the Tennessee Stud versus the Mongolian Stomper by Gorgeous George Jr. Another match that had started with a loser leave on October 28, 1977, when uh, Ron Fuller got beat. And now the Tennessee stud is doing all the work. Wow. All right. So that's, uh, that's a pretty fantastic card right there, stud, but both you and Rob had the opportunity to get even for those loser leaves matches. And Roy Lee Welch was about to pop a surprise on Ronnie Garvin that he would not soon forget. So how did this TV open up Saturday, March 4th, 1978? Well, it opened up, man, with less running down the TV card as it usually did, which was an outstanding card. It was a great card, man. And uh, so Ronnie Garvin was at the set with less when the cameras backed away. But, you know, as always, the, when that when the cameras backed off, you usually had that big photo, the big still shot behind them. But oddly enough, there was no huge photo on the set behind them this time. And uh, Ronnie Garvin found it a little strange, too, and he even asked Les. He said, you know, what, what's, what's going on? There's no picture back there. And Les said, you know, there's going to be something up there a little later, Ronnie. And he just, you know, he kind of went on. So they began the show uh, with a video. And it was the end of the match from six days earlier on Sunday, February 26, 1978, uh, the one in which Roy Lee had his arm broken. And obviously it was a highly edited video from the match. It had Ronnie Garvin, uh, showed Ronnie Garvin punishing Roy Lee's arm with all different kinds of hammer locks and wrist locks and all different things he was doing and working on that arm for the entire match. And then it showed at the end two powerful leaps from the top rope. Uh, Ronnie jumped off the top rope on his arm twice. Uh, and the second one it showed it went black immediately as Roy, Roy, as soon as he landed on Roy's arm, um, because obviously that's the one that broke Roy's arm. And uh, while we did that, because we wanted to save the fans at home, the pain and the trauma, man, of seeing something like that, which those there that were live mm -hmm. and would, couldn't avoid it, they all saw it, uh, you know, and I saw it, I saw it myself and, uh, and I decided we can't show this. Oh. This is horrible, oh. you know. So uh, it was really a nasty thing, and, uh, and, and the people at home didn't see that. But while the people in the studio were there, most of them, and they still screamed wow. when it happened. They thought they were going to see it again. Yeah. So, uh, so Garvin, he jumped right on it, man. He bragged about finally getting it done, you know, and uh, – and, uh, you know, and then Les, uh, Les didn't know what he's talking about. He, and he, he, he said, you know, his plan was to finish that punk for Lee Welch's career. And, you know, he broke his arm really, really bad. And, you know, and then that might be the end of it. So Les just asked him a really uh, honest question. And uh, he, he was probably, he, and, and it was a good, legitimate question. He asked him a why he had such a vendetta against a young wrestler like Roy Lee Welch. Exactly. Yeah, what's this all about, Ronnie? Right. You know, 
So uh, Ronnie grad gladly told him the story, man, about how Roy Lee's dad, Lester Welch, had broken his arm, Ronnie's arm, seven years earlier in Florida. And how he had waited all this time to get even and how good it felt to finally have gotten it done. Wow. He wasn't sad about it. He said, you know, I've been waiting a long time to get even with Lester Welch Hmm. and breaking his son's arm. That makes me feel good. You know, and then he said something like, you know, an arm for an arm, like an eye for an eye. Uh Uh-huh. And the fans booed him like crazy, man. I mean, he had tremendous heat. Wow. And then he screamed for them to shut up and he got up and headed to the ring because he was in the first match of the day. And then nobody in the building was aware what the card was for the next day because they never knew until the first interview what the card was and not even Garvin. You know, most wrestlers didn't care what the guard was, you know. So Les asked him uh, to come back to the set. Well, Ronnie, Ronnie, please uh, come back and sit down with us. I have another question for you. So Ronnie came back kind of begrudgingly, and, uh, and then he, you know, Les asked him, he said, uh, if Roy Lee Welch challenged you to another match and he was willing to get in the ring with you with his broken arm, would would you agree to allow Roy Lee to pick any partner he wanted for a handicap match, one against uh, you against the two of them? So, uh, you know, and, and I was in, I was now bear in mind, I'm down there in Dothan. I don't see this TV, but Les tells me how all this went. Man, mm-hmm. I, he couldn't wait to tell me how it went. And he said, when he asked him the question, he said, Garvin's face lit up into one big, huge grin. <laughs> He said he, he didn't speak to me. He shouted at me and he said, Of course I would. He goes, yeah. Then I'd have a chance to break his other arm. <laughs> and then he couldn't even feed himself. God. Oh my <laughs> God. <laughs> so the crowd exploded in booze again, you know, and, uh, and Garvin broke out and Les said in a big laugh, man. And he says, And he says, He says, unless he said, he can have anybody in the world he wants as his partner. I don't care who it is. Uh-huh. You know? <laughs> so, so that says, uh, you know, uh, uh, well, thanks basically for that response, you know. And he said, uh, you, you know, you asked me earlier, Ronnie, why we didn't have a picture behind the set here. And he goes, uh, he goes, uh, but I think now it's time for maybe us to get that picture up there. And he says, uh, how would you like to see who you're going to be wrestling tomorrow afternoon? <laughs> and then Bill Kincaid throws that big old full screen thing with Roy standing there with Andre the Giant. And that studio, Les said that studio, he said, I'd never heard a pop like that in the studio. <laughs> they went crazy. And, you know, he said they they all jumped up on their feet. He said they were all celebrating. It was like, wow, look at this. <laughs> Ronnie Garvin's going to wrestle against the Giant. Uh, and and Ronnie Garvin jumped up too, Les said, but and he was screaming too, but he says he wasn't screaming like the crowd. He wasn't wow. too happy about it. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I mean, that's an incredible way to open up a TV show. When you got Andre, when you got, you know, when you got Andre, period, that, that works. But how could Andre be with you in Alabama? And then also on that video, how did, I mean, how'd that work out? That There's some pretty good planning going in there. 
Well, I tell you, man, uh, and that's a good question, Dave. But, you know, uh, Andre had arrived in Knoxville. He came in early. I told you he was there for like five days that week. And he came in on a Wednesday, four days before this TV was even recorded. And I knew when he got there what the card was going to be for the next one and that he was going to be against Ronnie Garvin. So so I wanted to get a great pop on both TVs in two different states. Uh, you know, so I had Andre and Roy do this recording together on Thursday before Andre and I left Knoxville on Friday, headed down to Dothan. Yep. Open up that southeastern uh, Gulf Coast territory on Friday night. Yeah, uh, Andre Andre was going to be on both TVs in the same day. Wow, he's going to be live on one in Alabama, and he's going to be on video and one in Tennessee. Man, that's a double bang for your buck right there, stud. Oh, but you better believe it, my man. So Garvin, you know he he's pissed now. He charged the ring, man, and he <laughs> took all his frustration out on a poor opponent, man, who wasn't prepared for an angry Ronnie Garvin. You know? yeah. Do you He'd remember been that dude in the ring? Do you remember who that opponent was? Oh, I don't no, know. Nobody I does. I didn't ask Les either, you know, yeah. but I, yeah. I just pictured it, man. I see, man, all oh, this ain't good for somebody. And uh, so, so, uh, so the Garvin took the, and so he just, uh, Garvin just would, Les said, gosh, Ronnie was just pitiful. I mean, he said, he did just, he let the guy never got up, you know, he said they had to go carry him out. And then he said, Garvin came back to the set and he took the entire first interview. Because uh, Roy Lee was going to be on the personality profile uh, with the entire interview with the giant, which was going to be the profile for the day. So, uh, and uh, so second match uh, on the TV was Don Carson, and uh, he and his peanut butter glove they got it done again, and he went back to the set to join Les for the second interview, and he split it with the Georgia Jawjacker, whose interview was. Just like the one with Roy Lee and uh, and Andre, it was pre-recorded four days before the TV show was even made. And uh, Georgia Jawjacker talked about his shot man uh, to get even with Don Carson, and uh, Carson kind of accused Bob Armstrong uh, because he wasn't there for TV live of being scared of him, man. And because he says, I guarantee you, Bob Armstrong knew I was going to take that mask off of him today, and we wouldn't even have to wrestle tomorrow. He said, uh, you know, but he said, that's okay. I'm going to make it happen anyway the next day. And, uh, you know, Carson had to get his part in like he was a big badass. And uh, then uh, obviously Bob uh, had a great interview for his opportunity to get even. Well, all right. So I think this is a good spot for a break. Roy Lee Welch would be next live on the personality profile with the recorded interview with the giant, if I'm not mistaken. So I think we've got that to look forward to when we come back. And hey, by the way, remember to find Southeastern Rewind on YouTube. Subscribe, ring the bell to get reminders on when the greatest stories in wrestling are going to be dropped on YouTube. You ring our bell, we'll ring it on yours so you'll know every time. And be sure to tell your friends about Southeastern Rewind as well. So that personality profile is back when we return on this studcast right here. All right, Studcast fans, here's what's happening on Sunday, March 13th for Southeastern Rewind. Southeastern Classics 6, Ronnie Garvin helps Terry Funk 
October 10th of 1976. Monday, March 14th, Gulf Coast 3, The Intern with manager Dr. Ken Ramsey. Tuesday, March 15th, stud story number 23, NWA champion Ronnie Garvin. Wednesday, March 16th, stud cast number 241, Garvin versus Andre the Giant. Thursday, March 17th, Continental TV number 21. Friday, March 18th, Gulf Coast 4, another classic Gulf Coast match. Next Sunday, March 20th, Southeastern Classic 7, Toru Tanaka versus the Great Mephisto in a cage match. Next Monday, March 21st, Gulf Coast 4, another classic Gulf Coast match. Next Tuesday, March 22nd, Stud Story number 24, Vince's Greed, Part 2. Next Wednesday, March 23rd, Studcast number 242, Going Crazy. Next Thursday, March 24th, Continental TV number 22. And next Friday, March 25th, Gulf Coast 5, another classic Gulf Coast match. Hey, don't forget to subscribe now to ClassicContinentalWrestling.com for everything that has to do with the Tennessee stud, Ron Fuller. Andre the Giant, three hours, Stars of the Sports Series is there now. And Arn Anderson's three-hour Stars of the Sport will be added on Thursday, March 17th, Part 1, and Sunday, March 20th, Part 2. Only $4.99 per month or $39.99 per year gets you the best streaming channel in all of old-school wrestling. Hey, welcome back in. It's another Studcast. David Summers here with the Tennessee Stud Ron Fuller. All right, Ron, let's get right back into it. This is another great stud cast. So what happened the rest of the show? Well, you know, the, I won't go heavily into the profile that, uh, you know, was done with, uh, obviously Roy Lee and, uh, the, uh, the giant, you know, but, uh, uh, it, it was good and uh, very entertaining, uh, you know, but, uh, that profile was followed by Ron Wright's new tag team, man. And uh, wow, Ron Wright, had, he, he changed his whole act as a manager. Now it became a tuxedo affair since he was presenting his new tag team, Dennis Condry and Phil Hickerson. Mm -hmm. And uh, so uh, this was their first time to wrestle on TV uh, for Southeastern. And after their first TV win, uh, a piece of video was shown from Johnson City, Tennessee, that had been recorded on Tuesday night before this TV show. And it showed why the Southeastern tag belts had been held up by the Tennessee Athletic Commission. And uh, the champions were the Tennessee Stud and Robert Fuller were the Tennessee, uh, the, were the Southeastern tag champions. And uh, they were wrestling against Condry and Hickerson in their very first Tennessee match for the championship. And uh, so, you know, now the belts were held up and, uh, and, then, and then there was going to be a special announcement the following week by Don Curtis, the Southeastern Commissioner, about what was going to happen about these, these tag team belts. You know, uh, it was kind of a strange deal, but, uh, you know, then uh, but it, it gave Ron Wright the opportunity to take his boys to the set, man, and, and, and to brag on his team and uh, how they were going to just uh, mop up with Jimmy Golden and Rip Smith, and uh, <laughs> them boys didn't have a chance. And uh, the city all right to get a Tennessee dog. <laughs> Here we go. All that stuff, you know. I mean, I guess Condry and Hickerson are going to have to get used to that. It was Ron Wright interviews. So, uh, you know, he, he did his thing. And then the last match on that TV was the Mongolian Stomper. And, wow, he just uh, destroyed an opponent. 
and uh, gorgeous George Jr. He had his remarks afterward about the Tennessee stud. Uh, you know, that's who he was in the ring with. His boy was in the ring with. And, uh, and I had pre-recorded an interview to be used there as well. And I had done it on the Thursday before, uh, along mm -hmm. with Bob Armstrong's interview and with Andre the Giant and Roy Lee's interview. All were done at the same time. Wow. All right, so another great TV in Knoxville, obviously, leading up to a pretty good card, too. I think spectacular. What was the results? Uh, give us the results on that card from the next afternoon. Well, Ricky Gibson and Tony Charles, man, they wrestled to an absolutely fantastic 20-minute babyface time limit draw. Uh, wow. Tremendous match. Just fantastic. Everything you could ask for as a wrestling promoter. Uh, you need a good babyface match like that every once in a while to remind fans what it's all about. And, uh, well, they certainly did that. Uh, then Ron Wright... Uh, was thrilled, absolutely thrilled to present Dennis Condry and Phil Hickerson uh, for their first time in the Coliseum. And they got their win in the first Coliseum event over Jimmy Golden and Rip Smith, just like Ron had predicted. Uh, Robert Fuller and Joe LaDuke, they got a victory over the Hangman and, and Ron Wright. And, and they got it pretty easily because Ron Wright, when things got a little tough out there, he decided he's going to the dressing room. And uh, he just went home and he left poor Hangman out there to get hung. <laughs> That's about basically what happened in that match. Uh, Robert and Joe LaDuke won it pretty easily. Ron Wright just, uh, yeah, he don't want to be, a, he don't want to be in the ring anymore. I think he wants to be presenting his team. So the Georgia jobjacker got beaten by Don Carson, but it was because wow. of all people to get involved. Uh, uh, George's George Jr. Uh-huh. Okay. <laughs> came down and got involved in Carson's match, right, against the jawjacker, and he caused uh, the jawjacker to lose. And uh, so uh, the jawjacker was upset by it, obviously, and uh, so he, in the next match, which happened to be me, or the Tennessee stud, I should say, against the Mongolian uh -huh. stomper, uh -huh. <laughs> and then the jawjacker uh, just came down and turned uh, the defeat uh, that was about to happen uh, into a victory for the Tennessee stud, and the jawjacker ran GG from the ringside, and then he jacked the stomper's jaw right in front of the referee because it was a no-DQ match. And then uh, uh, Stud covered Mongolian stomper in the middle of the ring. Uh, Jawjacker had knocked him out, and the referee counted the stomper out and raised the Stud's hand. Uh, fans like that one, and, uh, and uh, that's going to lead to something, to some good matches for the next week because of what, that, what had happened that night. So and I and I kind of saved the Garvin handicap match here against Roy Lee and Andre for the last the last one today because it was and I keep saying this in my estimation it was maybe the best match in southeastern history. Whoa! Uh, wow! Okay. In, in the history of all my wrestling companies, you know, and Roy Lee got into the ring with the Giant for the introduction of the match. But as soon as the match, everybody was introduced and the bell rang, Roy Lee stepped out on the floor and he stood there by the ringside to watch the whole deal. Wow. He never got back in the ring. Okay. 
It was supposed to be a two against one, but uh, he had a broken arm. I didn't blame him. Right, right. <laughs> so why would you want to get in the ring with a with a nut like <laughs> if you had a broken arm? Yeah. You no. Know, so so I watched the match as well from behind the big curtain, man, in the back of the Coliseum. And uh, and the odd thing about this match was Andre and Garvin they had been longtime friends because both of them had spent a lot of time together in Montreal, Canada. Mm-hmm. In fact, uh, the giant uh, wrestle started in uh, in Europe wrestling, and then he ended up in France, and then and, and he ended up uh, leaving France and coming to Canada, to Montreal, because he's French-Canadian, and he could speak their language, and they could speak his. So uh, I knew that they were friends. So I let them, I went to both of them, and I, and I said, guys, I'm going to let you guys figure your finish. You know, and and I was thinking that, you know, if I did that, that Andre might give Garvin a little more, uh, give him a little more of the match, man. So, you know, if they both had control of the finish, maybe Garvin, he might make Garvin look a little better Hmm. than than he was, than he might other people. So I was totally blown away, man, as every fan in that building. I stood in the back there and pulled that curtain back and uh Ronnie Garvin did everything imaginable to the giant. He hit him with chairs. He jumped off the top rope on him at least five times. Wow. Uh, he choked him with both hands at one spot, right back into the corner of the ring. And in fact, I got a picture I'm going to use on, uh, on when people go to look for this stud cast with Ronnie Garvin about to choke the giant to death in the corner. I mean, it's wow. Like, it's wow. crazy, man. And uh, and he probably had the giant on the mat more than the giant had him on the mat. It was just an unbelievable match. I'd never seen anything like it. Wow. Uh, and when it started, the crowd obviously was totally against Garvin at the beginning of the match. But during the course of this 30 minutes, they fought, they, they fought for 30 minutes. It was unbelievable. Hmm. Uh, the crowd, they, they began to watch Ronnie Garvin fight against such a huge foe by himself. And the crowd's anger, it seemed to turn from, from being mad into respect. Wow. I mean, <laughs> it, 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 you could feel the crowd going, wow. This Ronnie Garvin is going to beat the giant. <laughs> and he actually did. In the end, he actually pinned the giant to the amazement of the crowd and myself. You know, I was like, wow, this is unbelievable. Uh, and then when he finished, he got out of the ring and Roy Lee, he poured Roy Lee standing there and he snatched him up and slammed him on the concrete oh. and stomped the hell out of his broken arm. <laughs> And, uh, and oh, Joe LaDuke had to come down to the ring and save him. Good Andre's God. still laying in the ring. Wow. Wow. You know, and uh, so this match, man, it changed everything for Garvin. At least half of the crowd cheered him on his way to the dressing room when wow. it was over. Respect. I, I, I'd never seen in all my career a uh, heel turn babyface without a finish that was designed to make it happen. There was no finish here. It wasn't turning on anybody. This was a guy who went into the ring as a hated heel and came out with such respect that he's almost a baby face, you know. And and the that and the crowd didn't know didn't know what to think by the time it was over. But I could tell I could tell uh, like it or not, man. Ronnie Garvin was going to be a baby face from there on out. Whoa, I mean. So the crowd, you said it. I think you said it. It had to be totally unexpected. 
So where was that going to leave you as a booker in two territories? Well, I'll be honest with you, man. I've been very worried about uh, what's going to happen in uh, southeastern Knoxville. I mean, I got Bob Armstrong, who's there now with a mask on and really over. I've got uh, the Tennessee studs really over. Uh, we're going to be disappearing to Alabama in a matter of a couple of weeks, two or three weeks, right? We're not going to be here anymore. Uh, Tony Charles is going to be the next one after us to follow us down there, you know? And I've been asking myself, mm -hmm. what's going to happen here, man, in this territory with all three of us strong baby faces gone? All of a sudden, basically over a period of about a month or six weeks, uh, they're gone. And, and then, by golly, I watched this match, and right there in front of me, in one single match, Ronnie Garvin gave me my answer, man. Man, that's that's just a David and Goliath story right there. And everybody hated David in the beginning of this story. So that's just, that's pretty awesome. These stud casts are really getting good. This episode, absolutely remarkable stud. So, all right, are we going to Southeastern Gulf Coast now? How do you transition from an incredible match like that? I mean, how do you do this? Well, man, you better believe we're going there, man. Uh, you know, uh, but but first, I, I, I you 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 forgot to get me with on the attendance, my man, and I and it was a beautiful one, man. It was five thousand eight hundred and fifty people in that coliseum. It was almost wow. a total sellout. Wow! That saw this remarkable match, uh, and a remarkable set of matches. It was just a tremendous afternoon. Yeah. So yeah, let's gallop down now, man, to Dothan, Alabama. Uh, you know, many of us, uh, you know, were wrestling there for the second time. Uh, mm -hmm. This was on Friday, March the 10th, 1978, only the second match ever in southeastern Gulf Coast history. And it was five days after the Knoxville show. So Knoxville was on Sunday, five days later on a Friday, down there in Dothan. And so was Bob Armstrong. And the card was another great one, man. It was, But it was totally different than the Knoxville card. The card in Alabama was an eight-man tournament for the vacant Gulf Coast championship which had been vacant for a long period of time. Uh, they were about to close down the company, so they didn't really have a champion even. And uh, and it was going to also have one tag match on it. And because it was a tournament, it's going to have eight total matches in all. That's a good night of wrestling for fans. So the first round of the tournament was it started off with the former NWA world champion, Jack Briscoe, against me, the Tennessee Stud. And uh, I'd been a masked babyface five days earlier in Knoxville, but I'm a heel in this one. No mask and a heel. And Jack Briscoe was on this card as basically a favor to me because we'd been such friends in Florida over the years. And uh, Dothan, Alabama was about, about a four-hour drive from Tampa. So it wasn't so far that Jack, well, you know, said, no, Ron, I ain't going to do it. So Jack uh, came and did it for me. And uh, he's going to do more than that for me. We'll talk about that in a minute. So uh, Bob Armstrong, uh, second match of the tournament against Eddie Mansfield. Hmm. Uh, and Bob had a mass, been a mass baby face five days earlier in Tennessee. <laughs> so both Bob and I were married, wearing masks five days earlier in the state of Tennessee and uh, no mask on now in the state of Alabama. Hmm. So the third tournament match was David Schultz versus the wrestling pro Tarzan Baxter, who was a big name man in that part of the country. Sure was. And, uh, <laughs> and he was one of the members of the superstars tag team in Knoxville hmm. during much of 1975. Hmm. He and Dick Dunn. 
So, you know, wow, uh, you know, uh, great, great match. Uh, wow, Schultz and the pro, super match. You can imagine, man, you know something about pro, yeah. you know, yeah. what a great match that was. Yeah. And the fourth match in the first round was Mike Stallings against Doug Gilbert, uh, another great wrestler. And Stallings was, he was at the top of his game. He was really becoming a tremendous baby face. Uh, then there was one tag match, Reuben Gibson who's also known as Robert Gibson, uh, who is, uh, you know, he's a Hall of Famer now, Rock and Roll Express. And uh, Reuben Gibson, Robert Gibson, was a partner with Charlie Cook, who was a black star man and a really great wrestler. And they wrestled against the Assassins with Roger Smith and Randy Colley, managed by another Gulf Coast veteran, Rip Tyler. So we've already talked about the TV to promote this card. It was last week's. TV studcast, right? I mean, that was the that was the TV that had promoted this, and it even had that live interview with me, called my tr- introduction to Alabama about this tournament mm-hmm. on that last TV show. That was <laughs> the first show that we ran, and uh, it was promoting this tournament. And uh, I remember talking in the interview about uh, being in the tournament, and I'm going to win it. And uh, so Andre was also on the last TV. Um, you know, and that was the first ever Southeastern Gulf Coast TV produced at uh, WTVY Studios in Dothan. So the next day's TV show would have the former NWA world champion, Jack Briscoe, on it. And uh, Jack said, yeah, I'll stay over, Ron, work your TV. So because of his tremendous TV exposure from his home state, which was Florida, he was Oklahoma boy, but Florida was where he he presided for most of his career. Mm-hmm. He was very recognizable in that part of the country. He, you might have even seen him in matches. I don't know, Dave. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. For yeah. sure. And in 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 Dothan, in the farm center. Yes. Yeah. And so uh so it 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 had been a huge feather in our hat, man, uh, to open the first TV show with Andre and come back on the second one with Jack Briscoe, the <laughs> world champion. Yeah. You know. It was the type of thing that fans noticed, and it didn't take long like that to build a huge TV audience. Man. Yeah, and yeah. the faster that TV audience got built, the sooner Southeastern Gulf Coast was headed to success. Yeah, so yeah. the Dothan area, uh, just to give the people an idea of the television situation in that territory, the Dothan area uh, and about 100 miles, at least 100 miles in all directions probably, uh, was covered by this powerful WTVY signal, man. Its signal went south to Panama City and west almost to Pensacola, Florida. And uh, both those cities were in the Gulf of Mexico. It went north to almost Columbus, Georgia, east uh, into most of southern Georgia, and the west almost Montgomery, Alabama. It was a strong television station with a great signal. And, and then we had another station in Montgomery, and, and that had been carrying the Gulf Coast TV shows for years, a part of that territory for many years. And they'd also been receiving shows since we started producing them in Knoxville and sending them south, which we had produced three or four shows in Knoxville before these first two that actually came out of WTVY. And uh, they were the oldest TV stations associated with the show uh, and associated with Gulf Coast. So by this second TV show produced on DVY, they were both those stations in their six-week airing shows that had Southeastern and uh, and different wrestlers on them that were going to be associated with the new company. Wow. 
So the big news was the very strong WKRG-TV in Mobile, Alabama, where I made that presentation a few months ago, sat down with all those the guys to talk about the TV show and how crazy they went over seeing the wrestling show. They aired that this was their second show that they were going to air. So they were on board from the very first time we ran a match and the very first TV we sent to them was the first one from last week out of WTVY. And they're going to get this second one that we were doing today, the mm-hmm. next day. Mm-hmm. So the bad news, uh, there was some bad news out there, though, uh, with all the TV stations, is that it was going to traditionally take about three months of TVs before wrestling businesses started to take off. Three months? Yes, wow. three months. Wow, it's really that got a- to, That's a critical, critical number. You know, now we're six weeks in. We're halfway there on just two stations. Yeah. You know, so uh, uh, then, you know, WKRG, uh, we're, we're not going to get that benefit for quite a bit longer. So, yeah. so we're going to struggle down there. And uh, that's that, that when we talk about that, that territory there, it's not like Knoxville. Yeah. It's kind of like Knoxville was at the beginning when I took over in 1974. Yeah, it's struggling. It's not got the real big houses, but it's going to go there. Yeah, not and ninety days. You're right. It's a long time. And in your shoes, where you're trying to make money and not spend money, I'm pretty sure there was a lot of that going on. I mean, that so that's that's pretty cool. But you had a, so much going on. But now with two companies five hundred miles apart, how are you going to be able to handle everything? <laughs> <laughs> I'm thinking the next uh, stud cast may be called going crazy. That's uh, kind of how I was going to handle it. <laughs> I mean, it, it certainly wasn't going to be easy. I recognized that within the first two weeks, it was extremely important to get the right people into the right position to even have a chance at being successful. So luckily in, in an odd way, uh, the good Lord blessed me by breaking Roy Lee's arm. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Roy God. Lee finished up in Knoxville. I'm not going to tell Roy Lee. Garvin match. <laughs> I'm not going to stud cast because <laughs> he had a broken arm. He couldn't wrestle anymore there. And he was the perfect guy for me to have handle a lot of the business that I couldn't handle personally that mm. was going to make us a success. So it was a great deal. It was a perfect situation, man. Roy Lee uh, got his uh, his uh, his cast all cracked up because Garvin stomped the heck out of it on the concrete floor, but he went back and got it recasted, and he he, he moved Pensacola. <laughs> so so that's part of the, the answer to your question, yeah. there, man. As odd as that may seem, and, yeah. and he's going to be my right hand man there, and he was going to carry the responsibility for lots of the business part of things. Um, that's right. my answer. I hate right. to say it, but I'm not, uh, I'm not Roy, gonna... Lee's, uh, Roy Lee's bad, <laughs> bad injury uh, turned out to be an asset for the company. I'm not going to tell your cousin you said that. All right, So, <laughs> but how about travel back and forth between the two territories on a weekly basis? Because, again, you, as we said a while ago, 500 miles apart. That's, that's a pretty big deal. Yeah, well, yeah, and that's why I say, uh, you know, in two weeks, I'm trying, I'm seeing that, you know, it, it was a nightmare for Bob Armstrong and I, you know, we're the two guys that's basically doing the back and forth. And every Friday and Saturday, we're going to be in Alabama. And every Sunday afternoon, we're going to be in Tennessee. 
And then I was trying to phase us out of Knoxville as soon as possible to, to avoid these 500 mile one way trips every weekend. And it was a lot easier for Bob uh, than it was for me since his home had always been in Marietta, Georgia, which is just outside of Atlanta. And when you look at the map, that happens to be about halfway between Knoxville and Dothan, mm-hmm. you know? So uh, when he was traveling, he could leave after the Knoxville event and have to be in Dothan the next night, but he only had to drive down to Atlanta, spend the night, drive on the next day down to down to uh, Dothan. Me, I had to drive all the way if I was <laughs> going to drive. Yeah. So, wow. uh, you know, so, you know, he was able to stop off halfway, basically in Marietta and then they'll go and finish the trip. Me on the other end, I didn't have a stop off point, man. So, so I was doing a lot of flying back and forth. Like it, it was hard to travel by yourself, yeah. uh, 500 yeah. miles there, uh, getting the car and 500 miles back. Uh, it's a, it was a pretty big struggle. Oh, no doubt. All right, Stud. So the, the results on that Dothan card, March 10th. 1978 and we're are we still talking like this is the second week it even existed that's it yeah okay we're, we're in the very second match that was ever ever had by southeastern down there in that gulf coast territory right so so in the first round bob armstrong had won his match over eddie mansfield uh i pinned jack briscoe man uh in uh, we were in the second match and I pinned Jack Briscoe, and and I kind of cheated a little bit, you know. What the heck? I'm a heel man, and I hadn't healed in in a few years, and uh, so uh, I kind of popped him with something, and uh, you know, and I got, got the three count on him, and, uh, and along comes Bob Armstrong, goody two shoes, down to the ring, and he ratted me out, and he told the ref where I'd hidden the object. The ref found what I'd hit jack with and uh, he reversed the decision they gave jack briscoe uh a shot to go on into the second round uh, and it was that was kind of the beginning of a feud between bob armstrong and myself that's going to last off and on for the next 10 years <laughs> so mike stallings beat doug gilbert and david schultz beat the mass wrestling pro to finish out the first round of the tournament in the second round of the tournament Bob Armstrong ends up wrestling against Jack Briscoe. Imagine that match if you can, Dave. <laughs> How good was that? Yeah. Wow. You know, wow. I mean, was that a classic? I mean, there wasn't a lot of people in that farm center, but every one of them in there walked away talking about that one. You know, and yeah. uh, Bob beat Jack. Yeah. And, uh, wow. David Schultz beat Mike Stallings. Uh, in anything but a babyface match, because Schultz was Schultz was desperate to become a star, hmm. and uh, wow, he was he had it, he had it, and uh, and he was going to learn. But, but before he left there, uh, six eight months later, uh, he was going to be that star. Wow, and uh, so uh, Bob uh, Bob obvi- obviously then uh, Bob Armstrong is going to meet David Schultz in the finals, uh, but they had the tag match next, which was uh, and the assassins won over Reuben Gibson and uh, Charlie Cook in the tag match. Uh, a little bit of interference, I think, from Rip Tyler on the outside. Uh, uh, you had to start building heat, man, to, in order to start to draw money, and and uh, that was going to be the secret for the next few months to get that thing off the ground. So uh, Bob Armstrong uh, made fans happy in the end of the night, man, with a pin over David Schultz, and he mm-hmm. received 
the very old Gulf Coast championship belt. Wow. You know, uh, Ronnie Garvin would have thrown it off the bridge. Yeah. You know, and, uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it wouldn't have lasted yeah. long. Yeah. You know, and, uh, and, but, you know, I watched that match, man, the whole match between him, Bob Armstrong and David Schultz. Yeah. And I could tell Bob was going to be a star in the future there, man, on his very first win. It didn't take but that one win, man, for me to see that Bob's going to be a monster there. So is David Schultz going to be a monster? I was too. I was about to ask, and you were absolutely right about Bob. How far away was David Schultz from being Doctor Doctor D Doctor Death? He's going to be Doctor D within a couple of months, man. Oh wow! Okay, he's, so he's going to right away become Doctor D, and he got that name actually, man, from carrying around a briefcase full of all kinds of pills. He was hmm. a pill freak. Wow. And, uh, wow. you know, and uh, I mean, uh, he'd okay, take but, anything and, and, and he would open his, his, his case. <laughs> was, the guy started nicknaming him doctor right away. Okay. So that was a backstage nickname. That was a backstage nickname. Okay. But then at some point he got started, they started calling him Dr. Death, Dr. D on yeah, Dr. D. Yeah. They took it. There was no death on it. They just called okay. him Dr. D. David okay. Schultz. Okay. And, uh, but it actually started from a real thing with wow. his little, okay. little field tech cachet wow. that he yeah. carried around with him all the time. <laughs> That's fascinating. So, That's really and, uh, and David Schultz is going to become a monster in that territory. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, I can't wait to get to some of the things that happened down there, Dave. Uh, uh, some of the things that had riots. Yeah. We're going to talk riots. <laughs> that part of the country down there was filled with fans that wanted a piece of it. Oh, we didn't take it all that seriously. Oh, boy. <laughs> wow. It was all a right. dangerous, dangerous okay. part of the right. Yeah, for real. All right, but early on, uh, only the, the the second week of wrestling, how did you do attendance-wise? Well, you know, it wasn't as big as the week before, which the Giant had been the week before. Mm -hmm. Been there the week before. Uh, we had about 1,100 fans. You know, and actually <laughs> – and, and I, this is going to be kind of fun for me to to throw these numbers out here because because we're in Dothan, Alabama, a town that's going to become a monster good one. Uh, well, you got 1,100 fans, and it drew half as many fans as Knoxville Spot Show of Corbin, Kentucky, that same night. So uh, oh, yeah. think about that. Yeah, then, uh, Corbin, Kentucky is about uh, 7,000 fans, 7,000 mm -hmm. people. Yeah, yeah, you know, and so, uh, so it just gives you an indication of how bad the territory shape the territory was in, and uh, and we got a long way to go. Okay, it was kind of disappointing, but uh, you couldn't let yourself get down with those small crowds. I mean, I had to work on it big time, man, in the early stages of this new territory, yeah, because your wrestlers were always watching you, man, and if they saw disappointment in your face, that was the last thing they needed to see. You, you had to keep them fired up. You had to keep them wanting it. And uh, you had to keep them driving it. And those heels had to be getting that heat. And uh, it was all going to turn around. You had to just be so positive about <laughs> guys, we're going to blow this thing apart. And that's what we did with this very first crew. Uh, within six months, we took this thing from dead to selling out. It was unbelievable. Wow. So, so the, day, the day is going to come, like I said, when Little Dothan, uh, that uh, drew 1,100 fans that night is, is going to draw as many fans as Knoxville just about. 
Hey, I tell you, that's a fact. I saw a lot of crowds there, over 4,000 myself as a youngster. So, all right, let's get to the learning tree question for today. It comes from a gentleman named Tim Frederick. He asked, was any baby face in any territory ever as over as good as the bullet was in Continental? He goes on to say, I can think of Dusty Roads in Florida and the Von Erics in Texas, and that's it. So what do you think for Tim? Well, man, that's a really great question, isn't it? That's a, that's a really good question, man. Uh, you know, and uh, so I, and I, there's probably all different kinds of way to, ways to answer this one, but uh, I'm going to do it in a kind of an unusual way. My answer is going to be a little bit different, I think, than maybe most people would. I think the the – the equation here, Tim, uh, here, and the real answer is, is they, they picked people, and it depended on the generation they were born in and what part of the country you lived in. Hmm. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, because professional wrestling had been around for about 100 years, you know, it's been around for a long time. And probably your grandfather, Tim, and his father, you know, your grandfather and your, your father, uh, they might have both been wrestling fans. And if so... They probably had their favorites, just like you, just like you, you know, and the bullet. They probably had theirs and thousands of other fans had their favorites, you know, and each generation. Think about it. They, they all had saw different wrestlers. Wrestlers came, they got old, and they left. And the next generation had their own favorites, depending on who, who, who they saw in that part of the country and where they lived. So, uh, so let's just look at the fans. Let's just take one generation, man. Uh, let's bust it down at the, the, say, the 1970s and 80s generation. The, that's kind of the ones he mentioned, Dusty and Von Erichs. That's the 70s and 80s era. Uh, Dusty was obviously king in Florida, man. There's no doubt about that. And the Von Erichs were all of them kings in Dallas and in that area. But if you lived in Louisiana during that time frame, you was in love with the junkyard dog, <laughs> Sylvester Ritter. Yep. Right. Yeah. He'd be your man. And if you were in New York in that same time frame, Bruno, Bruno yeah. San Martino's your man. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. He's the best you've ever seen. Yeah. He's the man you love. If you're in Memphis, Tennessee, I it's know. Jerry the King Lawler by God. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Ain't no doubt about it. Yeah. If you're in Minnesota. In the AWA territory, it's either Vern Gagne or Nick Bockwinkel. So, you know, it didn't make it this. It, every person felt differently depending on where they were and the generation and the time frame of the wrestlers that they got to see. So I agree that the Southeastern and Continental uh, during the 1970s and 80s, I agree with you, uh, Mr. Frederick. You know, it's, it's Bob Armstrong. It was the bullet. The yeah. bullet was yeah. on fire Easy. for years, you know. Yeah. And, and, you know, the great thing about our sport, Tim out there, Tim, I think it's your name. The great thing about our sport was that there was so many fantastic stars from the 1920s all the way into the 1990s to choose from. Man. Uh, so many great wrestlers. The sad part about this whole deal is uh, this new generation of fans. I'm talking about the one now. These the millennials, man. Uh, they don't they don't have the same opportunity anymore to see near as many stars as we did back in the old days. And you know, uh, but at least you know, Dave, we all have 
our memories, man. Boy, don't we, and you can't take those away. What? That's a great answer, Ryan, and another tremendous studcast. Hey, folks, on Facebook, to become friends with the living legend, the stud, on Facebook, simply go to either his Ron Fuller, the Tennessee stud, or Ron Fuller Welch author page, either of those two. Like and follow him there, and you automatically become friends with the stud that way. On Twitter, follow him on Ron Fuller Welch. Find everything on Ron's website, tnstud.com. That's one of the most famous addresses in wrestling, tnstud.com. Studcast, super studcast, historic videos, photo gallery, his stud store with souvenirs of all kinds, autographed photos, tremendous continental DVD wrestling five packs, T-shirts, Tennessee stud mask, and his chilling novel, Brutus. Visit now at tnstud.com. That's tnstud.com. The Southeastern Rewind YouTube channel has many things, but Stud's streaming channel, ClassicContinentalWrestling.com, ClassicContinentalWrestling.com will have everything. It'll have it all. Everything that the Stud has ever produced in the past, in the present, and on into the future. It'll be added to daily for years to come. Don't miss the first three-hour Stars of the Sport with Andre the Giant. Now on there. This week's Star of the Sport is the three-hour Enforcer, Arn Anderson. Man, that's stuff choosing right there. Part one with Arn airs Thursday, March 17th, part two, Sunday, March 20th. Don't miss out, fans, on Old School's Greatest Wrestling Deal. Stream everything that is the Tennessee Stud. ClassicContinentalWrestling.com. ClassicContinentalWrestling.com. Only $4.99 per month or $39.99 per year. Gets it all. Everything. Subscribe today and get a free week bonus on your first month. You can also gift your subscription if you want to, meaning give it to someone even in another town. All right, stud, where do we ride next week? Well, we're going to go to both territories again, man. We're going to see how long I'm capable of doing this, man. Uh, uh, March 12th, we're going to be looking at 1978 in Knoxville, that card, and it has two title matches on it. That has a brass knucks match between Ronnie Garvin and Joel Duke, and it's got a special event where Ricky Gibson gets his second shot at Gorgeous George Jr. Remember, Gorgeous George Jr. didn't show up for the first one. If he doesn't show up for this one, he's gone from Southeastern. So Southeastern Gulf Coast on the southern end, man, down there in Southeastern Gulf Coast is going to be in Dothan, Alabama. The matches are going to be on Friday night, March 17, 1978. Same week as that Knoxville card. Uh, this one's got a six-man tag. A uh, six-match card, I mean, with a return match for the Gulf Coast belt uh, from the finals of this studcast here. Bob Armstrong's going to be defending against the guy that he beat to win that belt. That was David Schultz. And uh, I'll be wrestling one of the all-time favorites in that part of the country down there, Dave, a little old strong man, Greg Peterson, man. And, and I'm going to have some fun with this one <laughs> and tell a special story about it to boot. All right. <laughs> so uh, then, then there's another great learning tree question, man, uh, next week. Uh, oh, and it's, it's uh, what was the relationship between Booker and owner 
when it came to decisions such as hiring or firing talent, paying guarantees, angles, title changes, world title shots, or even the position of the, on the card. The guys were placed on the card. The great question right there, man. Uh, you know, how did people, how, how did the, the owner deal with the booker on all those, all those points right there? Yeah. And, uh, you know, as always, I want to thank every listener out there today and please tell your friends and neighbors about us. Uh, I hope everybody's enjoying these and I think they're just going to continue to get better and better and, uh, take good care of yourselves and others and make God bless us all. Wow. Well done, Ron. For Ron Fuller in the Great Smoky Mountains, I'm David Summers saying thank you for listening. Find me at davidsummersproductions at gmail.com. This studcast is a David Summers production for Tennessee Stud, LLC. Thanks for joining us today for this historic studcast. The true story continues next week. So full Nelson, your friends, and point them in our direction for another ride with the Tennessee Stud. This is David Summers saying so long from the Great Smoky Mountains.